Welcome, I'm Pastor Abraham, and I want to thank you for tuning in to Sun Valley Podcast. You can check out our church on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for worship thoughts, devotionals, and the latest events happening at our church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. We're continuing in our series today called The Greatest Story, The Unexpected Narrative of Jesus. And through this series, we explore some of the major and minor stories and writings of the Bible, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And as we journey through the Bible, we're uncovering this incredible and powerful love of Jesus, a love that is patient, a love that is kind, that is forgiving, that is all-encompassing without conditions and without pretenses. And today we are exploring the writings of the prophet Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is a prophet who prophesied from the late 7th century to the early 6th century BC, BCE, before Common Era. And, and he prophesied during the reign of five different kings in Judah. He prophesied during the reign of Josiah, who was known as the boy king, uh, who came up to kingship at a very young age. And he made these religious reforms that brought Judah back to worship of Yahweh, back to the temple of God. And, he, and Jeremiah prophesied all the way to the end of the reign of King Zedekiah. Last sermon, I said Hezekiah by accident, so I just want to apologize. Uh, it's King Zedekiah, King Zedekiah. Uh, and under the, the reign of King Zedekiah, Babylon conquered Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took all the people back into exile. They were taken away from their homeland and, homeland and relocated in different sections in Babylon. Now today we are looking at a couple of different parts in Jeremiah. We're going to be looking at different sections of verses in Jeremiah chapters 16, 17, and 18. And today we're starting off with Jeremiah's chapters 17 and 18. And we're going to be reading that today with you together. It'll be available for you on the screen if you want to follow along. So Jeremiah chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It says this, Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool, inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Even their children remember their altars and their Asherah poles besides the spreading trees and on the high hills. My mountain in the land and your wealth and all your treasures, I will give it away as plunder, together with your high places because of the sin that is throughout your country. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance that I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land that you do not know, for you have kindled my anger and it will burn forever. This is what the Lord says in verse 5. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, the one who draws strength from your flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Now in these verses... Jeremiah is warning Judah that their actions are causing them to lose this promised land that God had delivered them to. The blessing that God had provided was, was not guaranteed to stay with them. That's what Jeremiah is warning them. God's promised land was a fulfillment of a covenant. A covenant is this promise. Uh, it's a legal term that we use in the Bible for this promise between God and his people, or between people and his people. And God had made them this promise. If you remain faithful, you will receive the inheritance. You will take this land. But if God's people broke the covenant, if they broke their promise with God through idolatry, through unfaithfulness, then their covenant promise or their covenant blessing would also be lost. And so Jeremiah warns them, 
He says, do not trust in man. Do not trust in man. And you see, Hezekiah, or, or sorry, King Zedekiah at the moment, was forming a coalition with Egypt to stand against Babylon. They thought perhaps together with the Egyptians, we can defeat the Babylonians. And God was warning them, don't do that because it will mean your own destruction but they didn't listen. And so Jeremiah warns them, listen, destruction is coming. You're going to lose this land because of what you are doing, because of the sins you are pursuing, because you're trusting in man instead of trusting in God. Verse, chapter 18, verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. Jeremiah says, so I went down to the potter's house, and I saw the potter working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred. It was broken in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I, do, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hands, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, to be torn down or to be destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and I will not inflict on it the disaster that I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up, to be planted, to be blessed, and it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good that I intended to do for it." Now, Jeremiah visits this potter's house and he sees this potter working at the wheel. He sees, he sees this potter working the clay and he sees that the potter begins to form the clay into one thing, but the clay doesn't seem to respond or doesn't work the way that, it, that the potter is working or wanting it to work. Something goes wrong. It's marred, Jeremiah says. And so the potter begins to rework it into a different kind of of pot. He, take, he, he forms the clay into a different kind of shape. And then God tells Jeremiah, he says, listen, Israel and Judah, they're like clay in my hands too. He says, I can form these people. I can transform them from their wickedness, from the broken pot into something good, into something useful, into something beautiful. And God says to Jeremiah, he says, listen, these prophecies of disaster that you are speaking to the people, they are not written in stone. They are not guaranteed. They are not happening regardless of what the people do. God says, listen, this wickedness, this wickedness and destruction is inevitable if the people continue to persist in their sin. He says, I have warned them. And God even says, he says, if I warn a nation about disaster that is coming and they repent, I will relent and I will not bring the disaster that is coming. But if I promise to bless a nation and they pursue evil, then I will reconsider the good that I have planned for it. See, if the people repented, if Judah repented of its ways, God would turn them into something good. And here's our first lesson for today. Our first lesson is God can transform us. God can transform us. You see, God had promised good for Israel. God had promised good for Judah. And, and, and what, they, what they did, their sins, their choices, could cause them to forfeit that same good that God had promised them. See, Jeremiah warns them in chapter 17. He says, listen, your actions, they're causing you to lose your inheritance your actions are causing you to lose the blessing that God has prepared for you. You're going to lose your homes. You're going to lose your land. You're going to lose the blessing of the land because of the sins that you're choosing to pursue. You see, the blessings of Canaan was a divine supernatural blessing because the land of Canaan is not naturally fertile. 
The land is naturally arid. It is dry. It is rocky. But the reason that the land of Canaan was flowing with milk and honey, as Caleb and the spies uh, back in the book of Joshua, back in the book of Deuteronomy saw, is because God had provided supernatural rain. He had overwritten the natural climate of the area to prepare it for the people that he was bringing into it. God had divinely blessed the land specifically for his people. But if God were to withdraw his blessing, if God were to take it back as a result of their sins, the land would just return to dry wastelands. Canaan was also surrounded by very, very powerful enemies with much larger and much stronger and more advanced armies than Israel. Israel was safe, not because they had giant walls, not because they had strong standing armies, not because they were powerful uh, militarily, but rather they were safe because God had provided divine protection. And so if God were to withdraw his protection, Israel would be at the mercy of those same strong and violent nations. You see, the land that we live in now, it's chaotic, it's sinful, it's destructive. It does not have good things in store for us, but, but God does. Everything that is good is a gift from God. Every blessing we experience is a gift from God. And Jeremiah warns the people, and he's warning us too. He says, you can forfeit God's good when you chase all of these fleeting and temporary and empty things. We can forfeit God's good when we begin chasing all the things of the world. And then in chapter 18, God shows Jeremiah. He says, listen, I can transform anything into something else. I can transform something broken and marred into something beautiful, into something useful. But this is the thing. God's clay, we, we're alive. We're autonomous. We have free will. We can choose our own way and unfortunately, we can choose a way that is contrary to the will of the potter. We can choose to not follow God's plan for our lives. We can choose not to follow the path of life that God has set out for us. But what's so beautiful, what's so beautiful about God's grace, what's so beautiful about the Bible is that when we allow ourselves to be in God's hands, when we allow ourselves to be worked by him, he can transform our stubbornness. He can transform our mistakes. He can transform our brokenness into something beautiful. Even when we have rejected God, even when we forfeited his blessing in our lives, we still have the opportunity to be reworked into something good. You see, God's gracious hands can rework even the hardest of clays. God's gracious hands can transform our hardened hearts. See, God can transform us. Jeremiah chapter 16, we keep reading, verses 10 through 15 says, when you tell these people all of this, about the destruction that is coming, and when they ask you, why has the Lord decreed such a great disaster against us? What wrong have we done? What sin have we committed against the Lord our God? Then say to them, it is because your ancestors abandoned me, forsook me, declares the Lord. It is because they have followed other gods and served and worshipped them. They forsook me and did not keep my law. But you, God says, but you have behaved more wickedly than they. You've behaved worse than your ancestors. 
See how all of you are following the stubbornness of your evil hearts instead of obeying the words that I have given you, instead of obeying me. So I will throw you out of this land into a land that neither you nor your ancestors have known, and there you will serve other gods. You will serve the gods you've been longing to serve. You will serve them day and night, for I will show you no favor. However, verse 14 says, However, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but it will be said, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israels up out of the land of the north and out of all of their countries where he had banished them, for I will restore them to the land that I gave their ancestors. You see, Judah was unfortunately unwilling to be worked by God's hands and they were persisting in their evil ways. They were persisting in the stubbornness of their heart. And Jeremiah declares to them, he says, listen, the sins that you are pursuing, they're worse than the sins of your ancestors. You're doing the exact same thing, but it's worse because you have their example. You can learn from their mistakes, but you're choosing not to. You're choosing to to, to repeat their same mistakes and you're doing it worse. And he says, so destruction surely is coming from the land of the north, from Babylon. And then verse 14, we hear the word, however, however, it's a conjunction. Conjunction is a word that connects two ideas, usually in opposition to each other. And I just love, I love conjunctions in the Bible. And God says, however, despite the destruction, despite the exile, Despite your stubbornness, despite your unwillingness, despite your sin, there is a day coming, says the Lord. A day of deliverance, a day of freedom, a day of restoration. And here's our second lesson for today. Our second lesson is this. God can restore us. God can restore us. You see, ingrained in Israel's identity was the celebration of the Passover, The Passover was this Jewish festival that celebrated God delivering them from slavery in Egypt when the angel of death passed over the houses of Israel and delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. It was one of the central festivals and celebrations of the entire nation of Israel. In fact, the Passover Passover event in Egypt seemed to be the historical climax of Israel's history. This is what Jeremiah says, because the people swore by the Lord and they said, as surely as the Lord lives, the same mighty and powerful God who brought us out of the hands of Egypt, who delivered us from Egypt, that's what they would say. They would testify to the power of their God, claiming that climactic event when God had brought them out of Egypt. In this deliverance from Egypt, God had sent these miraculous signs and wonders. He had sent plagues on the Egyptians to soften their heart, to soften Pharaoh's heart, to allow them to pave the way for Israel's deliverance. And when they were delivered, then God split the Red Sea. When all hope seemed lost, when they were sandwiched between the open ocean, between the open sea and and Pharaoh's chariots coming in rapidly, God split the Red Sea and allowed Israel to walk through on dry land without being harmed. God held back the chariots with a pillar of fire as the Israelites walked through the sea. And when the pillar of fire went away, the chariots rushed in, coming in after them. God closed the sea and defeated Pharaoh's armies. And if you read in the writings of the prophets, if you read in the books of Joshua and Samuel and the kings and even the books of Psalms, you will read that both the prophets and the psalmists, they all constantly point back to this one Passover event. 
They constantly point back the deliverance to the power of their God, their faithfulness, or God's faithfulness, this Egyptian delivery as the prime example of who God was. But Jeremiah is saying something really amazing here, really amazing in chapter 16. He's saying, he is prophesying, in fact, that a day is going to come, that an event is going to come, an event so miraculous so wonderful, so freeing that it would overshadow the previous event. A day so amazing, a day when God would step in and deliver his people from Babylonian captivity with power and with wonder, and God would restore his people back to the inheritance, back from all the lands in which they had been scattered. Jeremiah says this day is coming, a day so wonderful that you will forget the wonders of Egypt and now claim the wonders of the deliverance from the nation to the north. What's amazing is that in the same section that we see this punishment for Judah's sin, we see God promising deliverance. We see that conjunction that however, God says, however, I will deliver them. You see, Babylon's conquest of Judah was the consequences of Judah's sin was the consequences of their idolatry. They trusted in their powerless idols and their powerless gods. They abandoned Yahweh's divine protection and so they were subjugated or they were subjected to the power of a much stronger nation. But even even when Judah's sins were leading them into their own destruction, even when their own stubbornness and refusal to listen to the words of God was leading them to captivity, God still promises deliverance. And what I love that we read throughout the Bible is that the promise of deliverance is always inextricably linked. It is always directly tied. It is always inseparable from the promise of restoration. See, God's promise is never to get us out of one mess and to drop us into another. God's promise is never to get get us out of our mess and to leave us alone to rebuild the pieces of our lives that sin has destroyed. That's not how God operates. God's promise of deliverance always, always includes promises of restoration, promises to rebuild, promises to strengthen, promises to empower, promises to heal. You see, God gives us the freedom to choose our own path. In fact, he laid it out in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He says, look, I place before you two paths. I place before you the path of life and death, the path of goodness and destruction. And God invites us. He says, I invite you to take this path of life with me, to take the path of love, of goodness, of blessing, of healing. We have another option too. We can choose the path of sin. We could choose the path of selfishness the path of resentment, the path of unforgiveness, the path of injustice, the path of death and destruction. But God says, but choose the path of life. He says there's only one way to life. There's only one way to salvation, and it's the path of Jesus, the path of the way of the truth and the life, the the New Testament says. And when we choose the path that isn't God's path, when we choose the path that isn't the path of life, we inevitably have to face the consequences of those choices that we have chosen. But what's so amazing is that God loves us way too much to abandon us in our mistakes. God loves us way too much to leave us on the path of destruction. God promises that a day is coming when he will deliver us, when he will restore us. He has promised to rescue us and restore us to greater 
things. And this promise is twofold. God not only promises that he can rescue us and restore us from our daily struggles, from our daily mistakes, God also promises that one day in the future, a day is coming where he will return, where he will set all things right, where he will rescue us and restore us to his kingdom for all of eternity. No more sins, no more death, no more destruction, no more path of death, only the path of life. And Jeremiah says it. He says, listen, this coming deliverance, it will be greater than the deliverances you've experienced before. You know, God will always restore us to greater things. God's blessings, God's miracles, God's deliverance will always be better than the last. And part of that, part of that is because God's forgiveness comes freely after every sin. Part of the reason that God's forgiveness is always greater than the last is because he forgives as if it was the very first time. Part of the reason why God's blessing is greater again and again is because he forgives us holding no record of the wrongs that we've already been forgiven for. He forgives us as if we have never broken his heart despite a history of having done so again and again and again. God forgives and God's forgiveness is greater because he forgives as if it was the very first time. See, God wants to both deliver us and restore us from our mistakes. And our second lesson is God can restore us. I want to go to the final two verses for today. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. We've already read 5 and 6, but I want to read to you the conclusion of that section, verses 7 through 8. It says in verse 5, Jeremiah chapter 17, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Verse 7, another conjunction, but. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the one whose confidence is in him. For they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. Again, this is a direct challenge to Judah, who's putting their trust in alliances with other nations over putting their trust in God. And God promises, he says, if you would just put your trust in me, if you would just remain faithful, if you would just act justly, if you would just love mercy, if you would just, just love the people around you, he says, you will be like a tree planted by the water, a tree whose roots reach out to the stream and doesn't have to worry in the season of dryness, doesn't have to worry in the year of drought. Rooted in that river, the tree's leaves are always green. They're always healthy. And the tree even bears fruit when the trees around them are barren because of the season of drought. Here's our final lesson for today. Our final lesson is God can preserve us. See, God is that stream of living water. God is the sustainer. He is the provider, the protector, the redeemer. You see, God's blessings, they never dry out. God's blessings never run out. 
When we root ourselves in God, we don't have to worry about what's going on around us. What's interesting is that even in this analogy that Jeremiah gives, even the vision that he sees, there is still a dry season. It still exists. There's still a year of drought. It still happens. You see, connection to God won't prevent difficulties from occurring. They won't prevent external stressors and troubles from approaching. But what connecting to God does is it does preserve us through those things. Being connected to God makes it possible to live in hope, to live in peace, even when the world is chaotic around us. Being connected to God gives us the strength to produce fruit, even in the midst of the drought around us. You see, when we plant ourselves near God, when, we, when our roots tap into the divine source that is the power of God, we don't have to fear anything. The sun will burn hot, but we remain healthy. The world around us dries up, but we still bear fruit. When we stay connected to God, no matter what comes our way, we remain blessed. You see, the world may try to weather us down, It may try to dry us out. The world may try to kill our joy and our peace and our love. But when we are rooted in the ever-flowing stream of living water, when we are rooted in God, our blessings, our joy never dries up. When we are rooted in God, he preserves us. And you know, right now, right now I feel like this is a season of drought. I feel like it's difficult. This is a dry season where we are unable to connect with others. We're unable to worship together in person at the moment. And the events of the world seem to be getting just crazier and crazier. We see political unrest in countries just neighboring us in our own countries. We see climate disaster stuff we've never seen before. We see worldwide injustices. But it's exactly in times like these that we need to make sure that we remain connected to God. It's in times like these when relying in God's promises grant us assurance. They grant us peace and hope and confidence in something better to come and a great deliverance. See, God can preserve us. And we have all gone astray. All of us, we've all made mistakes. We are sinful people, but as Jeremiah sees the clay in the potter, we're reminded that God can transform us. We're reminded that we have the freedom to choose our own path. We have the freedom to be worked in the potter's hands or not. And unfortunately, when we choose to abandon God, either through idolatry, through sin, through unfaithfulness, we face the consequences. We face losing our blessing. We face abandoning our hope, our security, and our peace. But if we are willing, Jeremiah says, if we are willing to humble ourselves, if we return in repentance and in forgiveness, God can take our rebellious and stubborn hearts and he can transform them into faithful and loving hearts. He can take our broken lives and transform them for his glory. You see, we are never too far gone to be used by God. God can take even the hardest of clays and rework them into something good. And even even when we continually choose evil as Judah did, 
Even when we fail to learn from the mistakes of our past and the mistake of the past of others, even when we are given opportunity for repentance time and again and still choose stubbornness, you see, God still and does restore us. Judah's refusal to change its ways had led them into exile, into destruction. Babylon was going to capture Jerusalem and it destroyed the temple because Judah was busy chasing after other gods, busy exploiting the poor and the defenseless for the gain of the rich and the powerful because they were busy justifying their sins through sacrifice and temple worship. But even though they would be exiled as a result of their sins, God still promised that a day was coming where he would deliver and restore his people. Even in the midst of their sin, God was still promising that hope was going to come. See, God, God's promises of deliverance, they're always partnered with promises of restoration. Whatever you are going through right now, God has a plan to deliver you. And his plan to deliver you includes healing, includes goodness, includes restoration. God doesn't just want to deliver you from one difficulty and lead you into another, but he wants to deliver you and restore you, to set you up as holy, as loved, as cherished, as blessed. When we fall, when we fall in our sins, when we choose the wrong path, God still has the power to restore us. And you see, we've, told, we've, we've spoken about transformation and restoration, but God is not just in the business of taking what is broken and fixing it. He's also in the business of preserving the good that he has established. You see, God works for transformation and restoration, but he also works for preservation. God can preserve us. God wants us to find our hope and our strength in him. He wants us to remain connected to him, to be planted near him so that our, our roots can reach out to the divine power, to his life-giving water and preserve us in our season of difficulties, in our seasons of drought. When we put all of our trust in God, we are never put to shame. See, the Bible says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord for they will be planted or they will be like a tree planted by ever flowing streams of water. You see, we can put our trust in God knowing that he promises to sustain us, knowing that he promises to transform us, that he promises to mold us, to change us, to deliver us, that he promises to restore us, to bless us, knowing that he promises to protect us, to prosper us, to preserve us. See, God transforms us, restores us, and preserves us. And only in him, only in him can we find the power of forgiveness. Only in him can we find the power to change our hearts. Only in him can we find the power to overcome. You know, I pray that today be the day. Today be the day we turn away from all these other paths that we've been chasing. And today be the day that we learn to trust in God, that we would be like that tree planted by the streams whose roots reach down to the living power that is Jesus. God can transform us, restore us, and preserve us. And when we put our trust in him, we are never put to shame. Amen.